Heading into Indiana's 2017 legislative session, leaders of the Republican majorities that control the House and Senate labeled this the road session. And that it was, at least in the sense that lawmakers traveled from January to April along a route that was not unlike our state's highways, sometimes smooth, sometimes bumpy, sometimes direct, and sometimes more winding than the 16-turn road course inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Some proposals ended up reaching their destination even quicker than expected. Some got stuck in ditches or worse, plunged off cliffs. And some, well, let's just say they'll spend a good part of the summer trying to exit multi-lane legislative roundabouts. Oh, and lawmakers dealt with infrastructure improvements, too. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll retrace this year's session with the General Assembly's caucus leaders, a driving force in every session. Oh, and don't worry, we saved room for you to ride along, too, so buckle up. Back in a moment with our roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researchers are advancing manufacturing industries by developing 3D additive methods, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Talk about coming full circle. We started the year with a lively roundtable discussion featuring the General Assembly's four caucus leaders, and I'm pleased to say they're back. Joining me are Republican Representative Brian Bosma of Indianapolis, the Speaker of the Indiana House, Democratic Representative Scott Pilath of Michigan City, the House Minority Leader, Republican Senator Brant Hirschman of Buck Creek, the Senate's Majority Floor Leader, and Democratic Senator Tim Lannon of Anderson, the Senate's Minority Floor Leader. I feel like now we have feng shui, symmetry. We start and we end uh, here almost with you all. One disclosure, in case people are listening or watching and they hear some strange verb tenses as we tape this, the session is not, in fact, over. Uh, still a number of hours away. Uh, and, and so uh, if you do hear a will be as opposed to a was, that's why. Let's, uh, let's quickly go around. What, uh, Brian Bosma, are you proudest of this session? And, two-part question, uh, since this was going to be the road session, road rage, what angered you most about this session? <laughs> Not necessarily about roads, but just anything. Sure. Well, clearly this was a session about roads. Many other issues, but we are hopefully um, working with our colleagues and colleagues in the Senate going to adopt the most comprehensive infrastructure funding program in our state's history that I think is just going to be an economic boon for, uh, for Hoosiers. Building on our years of growth, positive uh, announcements. Again, another group just saying we were number two for economic outlook in the nation just a couple of days ago. Uh, really proud of that. And it's, we've taken a little bit of everybody's ideas on this. Our goal was to get the sales tax on gas into roads. Eventually that will happen. Uh, to Much make, further out and not in this biennium. It, which it, it will be, it'll be six or seven today. years to make all that happen, but it's happening. Uh, heavy emphasis on local roads, all in all, I think it's going to be good. That presumes that we're able to, you know, get, get the votes in we'll both chambers the to do it. the caveats in there, That's, right? Exactly. And this is a generational so, plan, a 20-year plan? It is a 20-year really? plan. And, you know, every plan is going to have to be looked at. We don't really uh, invoke tolling. We encourage tolling for the future. That will be a, a discussion for a future General Assembly to make uh, It's also make six happen. or seven years down the road. We should just all take a nap until exactly. six or seven years from now. So and, and as far as road rage... I don't have any. Of course, we dealt with some heated issues. I really appreciate Representative Pilath. He and I can work through these things, disagree, our members can disagree, and we can walk away as, uh, as both friendly public servants with each other, same with our Senate colleagues. 
I'm not mad about well, anything. You, you can be happy with him because most of the contentious issues came from members of your own caucus. Well, so. there's, a couple, <laughs> there's a couple of folks that uh, might not send Christmas cards to this year. But, you know, again, everybody's just trying to do what they think is best for the state of Indiana. All right. Proudest, Dan, I'll ask you the same. We'll by, go around by the way, uh, thanks, John. I really like the question because it's nice to talk about positive things. And I have a, a very simple answer. Uh, the potential for the expansion of the South Shore Railroad in northwest Indiana. Yes is one of the Such major bills. Of, it's one of the major bills of session. This is a, a potentially a billion-dollar project, a federal, state, and local venture. Um, there's always some uh, a few egos and some hard feelings uh, that, that have nothing to do with anything in the way, but I think we're closing in on an agreement that's going to make that possible. Right. Why does that matter? It cuts down on the cost of time. Uh, it speeds up travel in northwest Indiana, and it makes... Uh, a larger area of Northwest Indiana, truly part of the Chicago commuter radius. That means more people living in Northwest Indiana, more people working there, more people having access to jobs, more people having economic opportunity, and particularly around me where you have all those part-year vacationers with homes, means a lot of them make Indiana their primary residence instead of their secondary residence. Uh, it has great potential, and it sounds like a regional issue, but it's also good for the state because Absolutely. that's an economic engine um, for the, the larger Hoosier community that, well, bring, that brings revenue. And session, it's the yeah, transportation. It's, it's opportunity and revenue. Right. It's, it's really the biggest thing in northwest Indiana, potentially since the river boats, and that's, uh, that's good for everybody. What honked you off? Uh, you know, it, that's... We only the, have... The, now we got it yeah, my watch. Right. Look, that, that's, a, that's a smattering of daily occurrences. It, it, it really yeah. is. And, and I think the one thing that, and I was talking to the speaker about this, the things that tend to honk me off are the ones uh, that involve uh, people fighting that don't mean a lot to the public, but they seem to get everyone twisted up in knots unnecessarily. And that, that's, that's uh, annoying at best and, and uh, infuriating at worst. Um, those are, and I, I suppose we might get to some of those oh, matters. I'm, I'm but guessing we will. If we, uh, those are happy ones to avoid. Keep talking. Uh, we yeah, maybe not if you keep filibustering yeah. on this one. <laughs> Senator Hirschman, yeah, same questions. Uh, it's clear this is the infrastructure session, and I think it represents a progression of long-term change in the Indiana economy in a very good way. We've tackled taxes and business climate, and we've been very successful in that regard. A key component to economic expansion and job creation over the long term is our infrastructure. This bill not only looks at roads and bridges, it also supports multimodal transportation, the transit systems, aviation. I think it's a, a tremendous long-term investment in our state in a bipartisan way, and I, I think it suggests that we are continuing to move Indiana forward in a very strong way. You know, we've got a budget that hasn't received a lot of attention, but good investments in education, a renewed focus on career and technical education. All of these come together to lay the groundwork for the future success of our state. And if there's anything that is annoying, it's that Indiana hasn't received more attention for the, our ability to work together, continually balance budgets. You know, for us, it's ho-hum. It's received no attention at all. If Illinois balanced a budget, it would be front-page news for weeks. Uh, but, Indiana, yeah, but Indiana gets its work done and does so in a pretty collaborative fashion. Well, with this new South Shore, they'll find out about news here in Indiana much more quickly, yeah. and they'll, they'll know. Yeah. Senator Landon, same two questions. Well, okay, I guess we're, we're yet to hear all the details regarding the transportation bill. I'm glad to hear the 
apparently we're going to be devoting a good amount or at least a decent amount of funding for local funds. Yes. Because... Uh, More than there had been at one point in the process. Yeah, right. and lo exactly. local units, uh, you know, whether it's uh, cities, towns, even school districts, everybody is still suffering from some of the policies we've put into place in the past in regards to uh, uh, tax caps and what have you, but they really need that funding. So grateful for that. Uh, minor victories for us, too. We're going to at least get a study on uh, family medical uh, leave. Uh, perhaps that will move Indiana a little bit forward. For the first time, we're actually going to have what is in the nature of a medical marijuana type of a bill, I think. That's still yet to be decided with the uh, well, cannabis. Well, depends on how nice you are to them. So, so, the uh, cannabis oil? Yes. Yeah, about. Right. Okay, well, that's very different uh, than medical uh, marijuana. Okay, well, all right, very good. <laughs> well, I may but, change my position on that but, bill uh, <laughs> if that's what you think it is. <laughs> do, do, do what you think you have to, but, but, but on the frustration side, it is frustrating in the minority when you you. Uh, offer all of your amendments or shot down on simply party line votes because if we had our opportunity, we would have a different agenda. We would be looking at raising the the uh, minimum wage. We'd be looking at redistricting reform. I think that's the biggest disappointment of this of this uh, session was that even though there was a bill heard, nothing happens. People out there want redistricting reform. It didn't occur. Uh, we we we're, we'll again. Another go another year, one of five states without a hate crime uh, on the book. So, uh, you know, there's lots of room for progress that we didn't make this year. But I, I do have to congratulate uh, uh, Senator Long, uh, Senator Hirschman, and the rest of the Republicans. They, they, it was a fairly smooth uh, uh, session, and we, we agree to disagree, I think, in a, a, a civil manner. And I do appreciate working with them. And, and that's course. noticeable, I think, for people who do watch the process, and, and I watch how you interact, and that's... And that's, uh, I think, to be commended. It is interesting, though, as I sit here, and I've, we've all done this uh, for a period of time, I almost thought today about changing the seating arrangement because there's sort of some upside-down dynamics going on here. And it's probably because of the supermajorities that are in the House and Senate with the Republicans. You can't really, there's not, you can't affect change necessarily or walk out or prevent a quorum. So the friction really was between House Republicans and Senate Republicans and then just to make things even more interesting, you all on the Democratic side were accusing them of being the, the tax and spend party. Yeah, it was Democrats who put forth school prayer uh, and promoted school prayer legislation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of confused. Is, am I making too much of this or is, is, is there some realignment or is this just a quirk uh, because of, of uh, supermajorities and you don't have you need somebody to fight with? You know, I have, and I believe Senator Long and Senator Hirschman do as well, I have a healthy awareness that uh, a super, and I preach it, a supermajority is not a license to ignore the minority. In fact, it brings responsibility to pay closer attention, in my, uh, in my view, to the minority. So Scott and I talk a lot. Tim and I interact a lot, not as much as you do with your Senate colleagues. We may not agree, but we work together, and we get all these accolades in our state. I'd like to say, hey, that's an all-House you know, House Republican dance card. Well, it's not, and it's not our governor's. It is, has been legislative, I mean, it's been partially our governors, I should say, but it's been legislative leaders who have listened, whether they were in the minority or majority, to ideas, made them different, worked together to get, have a great tax policy, a great regulatory environment. We may not all agree with it, but 
I, I think the legislative process has worked very well in Indiana. Here's the thing. And by the way, the the, uh, the minority, super minority, majorities, that's all overstated a little bit. I've right. been under a lot of different conditions. If you're down by one vote, you're in the... You're in the minority, and you have extra work to do. We had a bill that, uh, yeah, that failed yesterday, 50-46. That's right. 50-40 Airbnb. The truth of the matter is, it's very, you're in the minority. You make your points. You advocate your issues. It's up to the majority to accept them or reject them. And then you make a final judgment on what's left. It's really pretty simple, regardless of the circumstances. But I have to say, you know, about, you know, what party is advocating what things. We have to remember, we're all Hoosiers here. That's right. There's a certain base package of values that come along with that, uh, that, that, trans, that transcends party. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's, that's a bad thing, regardless of the label that an individual lawmaker is wearing. The people out there still agree and disagree about the same things, and they manifest themselves in that chamber. Does that mean, therefore, that we won't see uh, any kind of commercials we got a while before we worry about another election, although it'll be here before we know it, yeah. about this notion that, that instead of reducing or putting a moratorium, for instance, on uh, scheduled business tax and corporate tax reductions, which is something you all had advocated before, right. you go after uh, motorists at the pumps with a 10 yeah. cent per gallon increase. Are we? I mean, are you saying this is we're all in this together? Or are you gonna? Is that a weak spot that oh, you no, can use? Well, no, I, I maybe <laughs> okay, do that so one to ten. These are yeah, these are legitimate points. I mean, we're gonna have things so that's, to argue that's about, an issie. All right. and we should right. be arguing about, and the people argue about. Oh, and by right. the way, in terms of strange alignments, that puts you in the camp with Americans for Prosperity. Now, in terms of uh, the people, well, there you go. The people who are gonna go. That's actually fun, but. Well, no, I, I, you certainly. I'm glad you clarified that because no, we're we're not going to give that up as a, as a talking point when it comes uh, election so. time. I Absolutely so. not. But uh, because that's about tax fairness, and I think that is a fundamental uh, philosophical debate that, that that the public expects you to have. So, yes, we're going we're go probably going to see that uh, type of a discussion. But, um, you know, and there's a number of other things, too, I think that will probably, uh, I, I talked about the redistricting re reform. I think that's something which people are looking at in terms, I know when I go to my town halls, that's a question we, that I get every, each and every time, is what is the status of the redistricting bill? Now, there's been some bipartisan support for that issue, but not in the Senate. And so it probably will be a, a matter of, of uh, I think, a proper uh, you know, debate come uh, election time. Uh, Senator, are you worried about uh, pushback or repercussions on the tax question, either from the conservative wing of the Republican Party, Americans for Prosperity, and other groups, uh, the Grover Norquists of the world, who say they'll target people who supported this, or now that you've heard what you can expect a uh, you know, year and a half hence, or before, once uh, what we might hear about some of the campaign talking points, are you worried at all? No, I've always felt good policy makes for good politics, right. and we can show uh, very positive outcomes from the policies we put in place. And that's not to diminish the the, op the opposing views. You know, we can disagree with one another, and we do without being disagreeable. And at such point as we can keep it from becoming a personal disagreement, it allows us to collaborate, uh, amend bills, make changes, and reach compromises. 
We're never going to agree on anything at the end of the day. The general public doesn't agree on everything. The question is, can we drive a workable consensus that we can walk away from feeling pretty good for our state? And on most issues, we can. On those that we can't, you know, the tax debate is is an ongoing one, but I'm happy to take a look at our job numbers and say we're, we're happy with the decisions we made. It's just in such stark contrast to Washington where it has Absolutely. become blood sport. That's true. And something I mentioned when we had our first show of the season, right. that yeah. uh, it, maybe Washington could learn a, th a thing or two. From well, we had some folks, and they may have visited you all, too. They wanted to have a civility in, in the legislative process. You know, we have to be more civil and all this. We got to talking about it. They observe that we, they think, that we are like Washington, D.C., and we aren't. Right. Right. And it's civil discussion. Yeah, do people right. get a little heated here and there, of course. But we sit down, we work through our problems, we cast our votes, and we let the sh politics shake out for itself generally. Do what's right and let the politics shake out for itself. So right. I'm, well, I'm proud of this group, I'm personally. Gonna, I'm going to try to lump up several things together here thematically, and they may be sort of odd fit. But one thing I noticed is, and this is not a new issue, but the struggle with letting market forces dominate when you, when you decide winners and losers. Yeah. We saw it early on with whether, you know, how Tesla... Uh, could sell its vehicles through avoiding dealerships. We saw it with Airbnb legislation. That's what you alluded to a few moments ago in short-term rentals. Uh, we saw it with, um, uh, I mean, now I'm blanking out, but there were other issues where uh, that was a, a critical issue. Is that, right. will, will you ever get, lose that debate? I mean, I mean, will you ever put that aside? Because that seems to be something that will always nag the General Assembly. When do you protect uh, industries or companies that have been doing good things for Indiana for a long time, and when do you say let the market uh, dictate? Well, alcohol obviously was the one I was searching for. I, I saved sure. the, the biggie for last. Oh, thanks. Uh, I mean, what, <laughs> I told you I'd lump some strange right. things together. Where, so, you know, we, we discovered as we're dealing with this surprise issue of the session, the, the deregulation of alcohol, which no one had really anticipated, uh, or potential deregulation of it in its entirety, uh, one of our caucus members went back and looked at the very first law adopted by the Indiana General Assembly was the prohibition of alcohol sales on Sunday. So this has been a debate, the very first, so this has been a 200-year debate. Clearly our alcohol laws are arcane and archaic. They need to be reviewed, revised, but we need to do it thoughtfully and not on the fly as is being attempted right now, throwing boats up, saying let's let's have every convenience store in the state become a licensed package liquor store. It, but you're confident with a summer study that this ought no, to be resolved? No, it probably needs about a four-year study like we did with the wow. uh, criminal code. But it, <laughs> Just tell them we're all Hoosiers and we're in yeah, this we're, together. Yeah. My, well, my goal uh, is to try to put a fence around what's going on right now and then thoughtfully here, deal with it later. Here's the thing. We, we don't really quite have a free market in Indiana with respect to alcohol. We have a system. Or anything else. I mean, no right, but, we, but we have a system with certain market qualities. <laughs> Right. And, and for a very practical reason, alcohol, either quickly or over a protracted period, kills people. Right. You know, which differentiates it from other products. So you have to be mindful of that point as you're setting the alcohol policy. Uh, and then you're going to switch, make me confused again, because now it sounds like your caucus is going to but, take but, a bit no, of substance. But, but that's also, that gets into public health and everything else. Right. And it's not necessarily an R&D issue as much as it is urban it, rural oh, and other sorts. That's of, why leaders don't like these issues. It's not an R&D issue. You got right. every person in your own caucus has a, a nuanced but, point of view on the matter. But, but one thing's for sure. When Brian talks about the first law that was passed on alcohol was banning Sunday sales, and it's, you know, hundreds of years old, it's time 
for us to do a deep, deep dive on right. what makes sense in terms of alcohol regulation. Right. Scott's right. There is a public interest because of the public safety factor involved here, and we don't want alcohol in, in the hands of, of children, minors. So we have that, that you know, really keen public interest to keep in mind. But I think other than that, we ought to put everything on the table. And uh, if you ask, I think most people in the state of Indiana, they would say one thing for sure about Indiana's alcohol laws is that they're out of date, they're antiquated, and they need to be updated. And so I really think I'm in favor of freezing the status quo. I think anybody who got a license, they did so apparently in a legal fashion. I think it would be wrong. Versus the convenience. It would be uh, wrong to take the, somebody. The laundromat that got other, one here the other day as a restaurant. Right. There are other people who have, who have gotten them too. And so I think we just need to sort of free, freeze the status quo and do this deep dive. I don't know if it's going to take four years. So but alcohol, guns, two years. and redistricting. It's going to make for an interesting combination I, this summer and summer study. I this, just hop in. The broader sense, I agree with everyone on alcohol. But I think what you're seeing is... Disruptive technology is the watchword in the business community. Uh, Things that we're very used to are changing rapidly and dramatically, and in good ways. Governmental regulatory uh, frameworks have been built around those legacy ways of doing things, and so government regulation has to learn how to adapt to things like Uber, uh, and and even alcohol policy, and B&B. Well, let's bring up one that you were uh, involved in heavily. It's another market for is net metering. So, I mean, the solar industry has been getting effectively shored up by certain incentives, and your bill, which, surprise, surprise, prevailed. Uh, I guess it pays to have some clout. Uh, Or at least if it's signed, let's presume it is. that's a change, and that's yeah. a, the argument there was you wanted to let market forces rule because you said that they weren't uh, dictating. It's a heavily regulated industry, and it was time to make some changes as the technology changed. But understand that there are people who benefit or fail to benefit from any existing system, and so anytime you change the status quo, it's hard. And that's why when people say, well, why don't you just make this change in alcohol? There are lots of things to consider. It's more complicated than it appears to be on the surface, as are all of these issues. But I'm confident that we'll be able to adapt to the new economy, new technology, and put Indiana in the, in the leadership position it's been for a long time. And let me lump a few. Okay, one thing I'm taking increasing offense at is people saying that we're doing this because some lobbyists are controlling, uh, you know, this person or that person. We're all, we all swore to uphold the laws of the state and to do what's best for the citizens of Indiana. It's not a lobby thing. It's, it's what's right for, the, for Hoosiers, all Hoosiers, whether they're in an industry and they've invested in it or they're a customer. And that's really the challenge that we all have. Well, let, me, really right. let me lump a few more together here. The notion of preemption versus home rule, you know, mm. government that's best is closest. Yeah. To, and I'll throw out a few examples here. On the one hand, you said, hey, Local jurisdictions, you can have needle exchanges. You don't have to go, the state doesn't have to bless it anymore. On the other hand, you say, we don't like what you're doing necessarily with affordable housing in, in, in right. Bloomington. We don't like or plastic bags. We don't, or plant, yeah. that was last year. Or we don't like what you're uh, doing, for instance, um, with, uh, you, we're not going to let you pass a le- regulation that says if you're a convicted felon, or we can't put that right. box on an application right. to ask if you're a convicted felon or not. Right. I mean, which is it? Is the local yeah. government best that's closest to the people or not? Well, that's an excellent point. And I think uh, we, we have, I think this session come to several areas, levels of fatigue. One is preemption fatigue. It just seems like 
there are so many bills which just are restricting what local units of government have done. That it, it does make you question, do we believe in home rule or not? I mean, we've always declared ourselves to be a home Some rule state, and now we're passing. We don't want a patchwork quilt, yeah, but other right. times I guess it's a good thing to have a patchwork yeah, quilt. Right. But, so but I some think, of it I intersects mean, with the technology issue. The Airbnb issue was a preemption yeah. issue. Oh, you can't do this, local governments. Uh, the Senate Bill 213, where you could put your pole oh, for yeah, the, the small, small cell, cell towers. Uh, it's it is that's a Several difficult environment, question. Whether other, yeah. I mean, but I, is there anything I can glean, or anybody else can glean from this? That is there a is the, are the winds blowing one direction or another in terms of these issues? Because well, they do seem well, to be I, a cross current. I, I worry we're we're in an era of, of of moving towards bigger state government. We're looking at you know. And it affects my my uh, district, obviously. But we're looking at state takeovers of of uh, school, district. school districts on an increasing basis too. It's almost like you know, there's two words that scare me coming together: it's state and takeover. And we're, we're and we're really going to be seeing that and seeing a policy put in place apparently this year that's going to allow that on a state the, level. Now and you've I completed just, my bizarro land scenario because now we have the Senate Minority re- Democratic leader about arguing government. about big government. Maybe we'll quote Reagan and say, "Watch out for where the government we're here to help." Guys, you have a lot of work to do. A lot of issues. But I will say this, it is great that you uh, will, are willing to come in here, engage in these discussions, and do it in a civil manner. We wish you the best in the final hours. Uh, everybody will be watching. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your thoughts and suggestions and, and your ideals and principles. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Brian Bosma of Indianapolis, Democratic Representative Scott Pilath of Michigan City, Republican Senator Brant Hirschman of Buck Creek, and Democratic Senator Tim Lannon of Anderson. The 2017 session is nearly history. The lawmakers have had their say. Next, we'll hear from the journalists who cover them on the season finale of Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly debrief with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, it all went by so fast. Oldest question in the book, pardon the cliche, winners and losers. Give us I'm, a waiting, I'm waiting for the veto override day in, in <laughs> well, June. Okay, too, yeah. Technical correction day, technical correction day. I think the, the people of Indiana are probably the, the biggest winners because they're going to have decent roads over the next couple of decades to drive on. They're going to be able to drive over viaducts and and, uh, and go through intersections and not have to worry about them collapsing and, and not have having to worry about blowing out tires. And, well, Does this funding though stay in place? Because as, as we, history suggests, as yeah. soon as the General Assembly wants to do something beyond the biennium, guess what? Another General Assembly comes in, as with major moves and other sorts of funds, and changes the, the formula. Oh, sure. And, and that there's always a possibility of, of doing something like that, unless we put it in the Constitution like property tax caps. But I think some of this is, is already subject to change because we're, we're looking at a six or seven year out uh, question of tolling. And in order to toll some of these things, they're going to have to come back and, and run this by the General Assembly and run it by the State Budget Committee. So it's, it's not written in concrete, stone, whatever. <laughs> But we're, we're getting there. It's a long-term plan, and, you know, long-term is whatever's in the eye of the, the legislative beholder. And, and that's really now uh, off the books, you might say, for this biennium uh, or the next session or two. But other bills will come back. We talked about how heated some of the summer study uh, committees might be. Yeah, There's some significant issues. And, and we may even have things that go beyond the summer. You know, Speaker Bosman talked about a four-year study of, of alcohol laws. I think some people have, have talked about, uh, you know, the, the need for an even longer period of, of uh, study. Representative Lehman, the, the House Majority Floor Leader, 
who's on this, this show just uh, a couple of weeks ago was talking about, well, we probably need like an eight-year study of, of this. And, you know, we've, it took us 200 years to get to where we are today. And, you know, it's not going to be something that's going to be solved overnight. And there's a, a legitimate question, as, as Speaker Bosman um, recognized, as to whether this is going to be a legislative process or an industry process. And I think Speaker Bosman and Representative Lehman would come down on the side of the legislative process. And it's, it's going to be tough. It was tough getting all of the players in the same room this week. And I think that may have been the first time that they were all there to, to negotiate something. And if there are three competing uh, summer study committee hearings that our viewers and listeners have a choice to go to, alcohol, guns, or redistricting, where's the action going to be this summer? Yes. <laughs> oh, man, copping out. Ed, thank you, as always. Appreciate your insight. Great session. Uh, and uh, we'll do it again, I hope. Thank you very much. For more information, episode streams, and other extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleague at Feigenbaum, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more on this year's session. Until next week, take care. Purdue startup NeuroVigor, renewing hope for people with chronic diseases like MS and Parkinson's by targeting neurotoxins, helping people, changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.